Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got two of my favorites here on the line today. I've got Lee Murphy and Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Guys, how you doing? Doing good, Jay. How about you? I'm doing great. It's great to have both of you. Um, now, what the listeners don't know is for about 10 minutes, we've been jacking around on the phone, having all kinds of uh, good time, and then all of a sudden I introduce you guys, and you guys go immediately into professional mode. I love it. So I don't know about that. We've heard all about arm wrestling matches and everything else, and um, so now we'll get down to business. Guys, we're about uh, five, six days away from the draw, uh, the applications being due for antelope and elk uh, in the state of Arizona, and I want to talk to you guys about the units that you guys like for elk and antelope, um, but I can't help talk about uh, Arizona elk uh, without talking about Unit 10 with both of you. You guys um, are the masters at Unit 10 elk, uh, and, and you're phenomenal, both of you, with uh, antelope as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about Unit 10 right now. What are you seeing as far as conditions uh, with what we have, the data that we have going into the draw? How does Unit 10 look so far? Right now, the, the conditions, you know, I think you've had other guys touch on this, too, on the podcast in the last few weeks, but the conditions are, the outlook is good. Uh, there was, you know, the considerable amount of snow with, with some rain under it late November. Um, the conditions are still wet up there if you get in under the surface of the ground in the shady slopes. North slopes, there's still a lot of moisture. It's still pretty wet. So, I mean, it's going to, the outlook is a good, it's a good outlook looking into the spring. Once we get a little bit of warm-up, things will green up. So I think it'll at least be an average average horn growth here. It'll depend on, you know, what what kind of timing we get for storms and precipitation here in the next couple months. That's just how good it will be. But indications right now look look good. When you come off of a year like we had last year where antler growth was great, good winter moisture, very lackluster monsoons, but good antler growth. The question is, you know, can we put two good years of antler growth together? And, you know, you can't predict what the future is going to hold very well, but going into it with good antler growth last year, um, you know, as far as holdover bulls or carryover bulls, how do you think we sit going into this season, maybe even compared to into last season? Um, you know, do you think some of the best bulls got harvested? Do you think some of the best bulls are still there? Talk a little bit about that. Go ahead, Considerable man. amount of holdover bulls, don't you, Craig? I do. Um, I do. You know, Unit 10 is impacted a lot by the Walpi Reservation and um Living over here in Kingman, I get a chance to talk and, and grew up with a lot of a lot of natives. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, he was flying in the helicopter here a few weeks weeks ago, and he was just surprised at the uh, number of big bulls that he saw, and you know, bulls that weren't broke. Um, I think the thing that we saw that 
this year because of the monsoon was just so horrible. Um, I mean, I think we can safely state it was the worst monsoon we've had in history in parts of Arizona. Um, I think uh, it did something to the elk biologically to where they didn't rut as strong. Um, you know, there were some big bulls killed throughout the state, you know, on the Wallapai and on, on some of the other reservations. But um, did the elk were in some different spots and acting, you know, fairly, you know, uh, unique. Um, they they uh, seemed like some of the older bulls we noticed weren't rutting as hard. And we killed several bulls that just going into, you know, late September had piles of fat on them, which by then, you know, on a good monsoon year, on a good rut year, you know, sometimes they're they're already leaned out by then, you know. Um, from so chasing. From chasing so much. And, you know, not that they all didn't rut because there definitely was rut, but it it – it made it a little bit more difficult, um, you know, especially if you couldn't glass. We heard, I don't know how many people leave it. Did we hear that we're friends or whatever that were hunting all over, you know, the western Arizona anyway, and they were having hell just finding elk um, just because it was, you know, how it is, Jay, when the elk don't rut that hard in the flat, dense juniper country, um, unless you're sitting on water, it can be a challenge, you know, or you can glass them. Um, so I think there was a lot of holdover bulls from that. And then, um, you know, we, like Lee was talking about the storms in, in late November, early December that we had, um, speaking of Unit 10 and some of the Western units, specifically we know of Unit 10 because we had some hunters in there as well. Um, the late season basically was just trashed by a storm that put down I don't know, 16 to 24 inches or something like that. Um, and, you know, there I had a, one of my best friends. He he spent the night out there and had to get pulled out by search and rescue. And there was, uh, and I just think it saved a number of bulls that would have normally been killed um, on that late season. And, uh, you know, going off what what my other buddy was saying on the on the Walpi uh, reservation that, uh you know, and from what we saw, you know, um, I know Lee and I saw uh, a number of bulls, you know, um, speaking in, of Unit 10, that were, you know, good quality bulls that were, we we just, we didn't hunt them, you know, just because, um, you know, our hunters all killed and, and we had one early rifle hunter and uh, we were looking for the right bull. But uh, I know 18A is on the limited opportunity side, which is south of Unit 10. That unit was a little bit different um, um, going into uh, that hunt. That hunt, that late rifle hunt's a little bit later, but that archery hunt's a three-week hunt, and those archery hunters hammered the bulls in there because they were really pounding water. Um, so that unit's probably going to be impacted differently, but Unit 10, you know... Um, on the Bokeas, you can't sit water, and you know some of the forest stuff and other places isn't really conducive because you got so much pressure there, you know, as far as sitting water. But that's my opinion on it. There's, I think it's going to be as good as it's been in the last five years. Um, and reading, uh, I was just 
so I was kind of quiet at the beginning because I was reading. I didn't know that we had a storm coming, but I was anyway. One of the other coaches was telling me we had a storm coming next week because we got tryouts for softball, and uh, I was just reading it, and they're kind of bumping up the. They're calling this a you know a deep trough moving in from southern California, and they're not sure how much of precipitation it's going to put down, but they're kind of being optimistic about it right now and here there's the 5th of february and you know this is really good timing for for the storm to hit if it if it does hit so absolutely um you know there's there's so many questions that come to my mind with all the stuff you guys are saying the 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 trend, if you will, we talk about trends, we talk about, oh, a unit's trending up, unit's trending down. You know, there was time a handful of years ago when, you know, there was 200 early rifle tags and there was, you know, I think 200 archery bull tags. Um, and now it seems like, you know, we're back to the 100 archery bull and, you know, what are we at, uh, 20 or 30 early rifle, maybe 40 early rifle tags. What have you seen as far as dropping the tags? How has that impacted um, what you guys see on a day-to-day -day basis out there in Unit 10? I mean, do you think we're in a position where we're holding steady as far as age class, or do you think we're actually, uh, our age class is actually going up and those tag allocations where they've dropped the tags, you've really seen a, an improvement there? I think we're <clears throat> I think we're seeing a a steady increase in the age class uh, because of those tags being held where they're at. I think this I can't remember if this is the third or fourth year they've been at 40 and, and 100 for archery, uh, but it's it's definitely shown us an increase in age class. That's uh, where we hunt there on the east side. We get to see that. We get to see bulls come back every year because of the lack of hunt pressure there on the private land that we hunt on. And we get to see these bulls kind of grow up and, you know, the same bulls come back year to year, and we've, we've seen that. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely on the uptick. Ten is on the uptick. And then <clears throat> with the conditions we had this last year, a slow rut and <clears throat> the late hunt not guys just not being able to access certain country, it saved the lives of quite a few bulls that normally would have gotten killed. So I think the I think this year is there's a you know, there's a really good outlook for unit ten on, on what guys are gonna be able to hunt this year. When you spread out, you know, a hundred tags over unit ten um, there's a lot of country for guys, you know, so that 100 tag number seems like a really good number to have high-quality hunting. And then with, you know, half of the ranch taken in the Boquias, uh, Lee, you happen to be the permit manager. You work for the leasee that, that leases the land there. Um, correct me if I, if I overstate anything, but... Uh, you know, half of that ranch, they do have some restrictions on sitting water and they have, you know, some restrictions on some different things. It seems like a scenario that sets Unit 10 up to be, you know, if we can get, you know, continue with good moisture, it just seems like we can maybe bring it back potentially, um, you know, to the heyday of, say, 2005. I'm just wondering if that's me being too optimistic 
um, or if, if yes, you think that if, the, if they can keep the tag numbers where they're at with the late hunt, you know, numbers being down with the, you know, archery tags, keep them at a, at a hundred, keep the early rifle at 40. I mean, is it, is it possible with good moisture that we could see the, you know, the, the years of yesterday where it was, you know, big, lots of big bulls. Do you think that that's a possibility over the next year or two, three? Uh, yeah, I think I think what, depending on the weather pattern, it it definitely is possible. Um, it, you know, it, the the lack of trail cameras on the big Bokeas, not being able to sit water, those restrictions that are in place there, <clears throat> is is all in a bull's favor to get you know to get older and to avoid some of them getting killed. And so every one of those that slips through the cracks every year has a chance to get a year older. Elk elk have a longer cycle to to get to full maturity to really blossom and show what they really can be so um i think those those rules being in place on the ranch there's some <clears throat> some guys that aren't in favor of it but i think the guys that see the big picture there's there's quite a few guys that are in favor of that because they've seen the fruition of what what's become of those rules and um it's i think that's why it, a good majority of the hunters end up hunting there every year, even even regardless of those rules. They go there because they know they're gonna they're gonna be able to find some really special bulls. Yeah, and I mean for the listeners that are maybe new to Unit Ten and 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 don't know the information, I mean, and Lee can tell me the specifics, but we're talking about a, I think a five or six, maybe even bigger, five or six hundred thousand acre ranch that's kind of you know, half of the unit, if you will, um, and it definitely is, is a lot of the elk country part of the unit. Uh, and then you've got the stuff up north, which, you know, has a lot of the antelope stuff. But um, it's a private ranch um, that they do allow public access. There is a fee. If you draw a tag, you, you do buy the fee. Uh, Lee is the permit coordinator. He handles all of the paperwork transactions to make sure everyone's got all of the access fees and knows all the rules and, and what have you. Uh, but Lee, like you're saying, with some of those rules, um, you know, and one of them being trail camera, one of them can't sit water, uh, it does limit the hunter in a way that maybe in some other units where they can really use trail cameras, uh, which, which I'm a 100% proponent for trail cameras. Um, I'm, I'm a proponent of not restricting as much as possible but it does set up for a scenario and then not be able to sit water. So that throws people out in the field. Yeah, maybe it, from a hunting standpoint, it kicks people out there cow calling and bugling and maybe where half the people would be sitting in the afternoon, now they're out there chasing elk around. But it, you know, if it's dry, those guys can sit water and pound those big bulls on water. And so it seems like it's set up for a scenario that, um, you know, some older age class bulls can make it through year after year and, you know, potentially Unit 10 can retake the, you know, the top throne of, of you know, being the best in, in the state with those rules in place. Just, you know, reiterate a little bit about the Bokeas and, you know, how you think that, you know, it being open to the public, how it's actually a good thing that maybe some of these restrictions because the the icing or the, the light at the end of the tunnel is you're going to get some more age class probably because of these rules. 
Yeah, I think you <clears throat> you touched on a lot of that right there, Jay, that it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that we don't use trail cameras because we use trail cameras where we, you know, where we can and public land hunts and, and other units. Um, but it's, there is a, there is something to the trail cameras. You know, they do increase hunters' odds of finding older age class um, elk, bucks, whatever, whatever you're hunting. But I think that that is one of the things, one of the positive offsets of not using cameras on there that, you know, regardless of where you stand on the trail camera issue, um, that it does, it helps, it gives the bulls an out and the deer, whatever you're hunting there, that they they don't get found as easily. So um, it, it gives them a better shot of survival. And I think that long term, that's, that's going to benefit the hunters for being able to kill really big bulls and, and increase the age class. Um, you know, some of the other rules, like not sitting water, I think that's <clears throat> absolutely correct about sitting water. Last year, you know, I think there would have been a lot more elk killed if hunters could sit water because uh, guys were really struggling. Water was scarce, even on the Boquias, where there's quite a bit of uh, water troughs and pipeline water. The bank water was getting low, um, all across Unit 10, so guys sitting water would have probably killed a lot more bulls. It'll be, I'll be really interested to see what the harvest success rate was on the archery hunt from last year for Unit 10 when those results come out. Yeah, you know, um, I get a lot of questions and on Instagram and, and try and field as many questions as I can with the Q&A. And every year, there's probably six to ten people that send me a message, say, I've drawn a Unit 10 tag. Do you think it's worth me getting the Bokeas permit? And, you know, my answer every time is absolutely. I mean, you have the opportunity to hunt on a ranch uh, that, you know, it's a very, very small fee for what you get in return. I mean, you do the same ranch over in New Mexico, and, you know, people would pay, you know, $20,000 just to access the ranch of, of something of this caliber. So any of you listening and you're planning on putting in for Unit 10, you know, absolutely plan on getting the permit for sure where you have access to hunt on the Bokeas, have access to hunt off the Bokeas, so you're open to all of Unit 10 uh, that's open and available to the public. Um, now, you guys specifically uh, have some other private land that's not owned by the same owner of the Bokeas where you guys operate some private land hunting in Unit 10. Um, talk a little bit about your opportunities I've had several friends that have hunted with you, um, uh, Tyler Hall last year, uh, and uh, Rebecca Miller, um, um, Mike or uh, Mark Miller's Mike Miller's wife, I believe her name's Rebecca, hunted with you and killed a phenomenal bull on the early rifle hunt. But talk about uh, your opportunity there, the uniqueness of that opportunity to hunt private land in Unit Ten. Uh, there and, and you know some of the conditions and opportunity that presents for your hunters. It's one of those things I've always been a, a you know a hunt public land, grind it out you know type type guy. And I started guiding up there with Lee in 2011, and uh, we started our own deal, kind of guiding up there for exclusive pursuit. Also, 
winners in 2014. Um, and every time hunters call me about it, I, I actually, I, I found out that from talking to you and you know other hunters that have hunted with us that, you know that that have been around the block a time or two trying to, you know, basically chase trophy elk that. I completely undersell it. Um, it. It is, it is a, you know, it's special because, you know, it's limited access. And, you know, like Lee said earlier, we get a chance to see, you know, a, a lot of the bulls that we hunt are bulls that, you know, don't winter on us. They go with the res or they go, they come from unit nine or they come from unit seven or, you know, bulls that we have on there during the summer go, go somewhere else to rut, you know. Um, not always, but occasionally, and it's it's a real joy to be able to actually see elk in their most natural state. You know, kind of like how you get to in Colorado, Jay, um, and we get to see some of these bulls come back year after year, and that's how we're kind of, I guess, privileged to, you know, be able to watch a bull grow up, um, and being able to hunt that bull, a lot of that country in there, we can hunt it. Um, the landowners there allow us to sit, sit water, and we're also, you know, able to glass some of it. Um, there's some, some country that lends itself to glass, and so we can do a number of different things there. And, all, and all, obviously, we can hunt bulls in the rut either, either dogging them or, you know, trying to call them in. Um, and it's just a special place. Last year, I think. I think we were we had all but one hunter kill, and he only hunted. Uh, uh, speaking of the archery hunts, and he only hunted, uh, I think three and a half or four days, and he had a he had uh, an annual event that he had to go to, and Lee and I were begging him to come back because all of our hunters were tagged out, and we still had some good bulls that we wanted to hunt, but he wasn't able to get back there, and we killed, you know. I think our our bulls averaged around 368 gross is what they what they averaged and it's just a really special place in the year before that 2018 when you know it was the big antler growth drought year you know bulls had dropped off 40 you know 30 40 50 inches um I can't remember you can correct me if I'm wrong because I know you're better at the numbers than I am but I want to say everybody but 100 killed that year as well um, and I think we averaged probably around 350-ish gross. Is that right, Lee? Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's about about right. And so, so it's a re- real consistent place to hunt, um, and that's what that's what kind of sets it apart. Is you know you look at the unit ten average unit wide, it's usually like the the harvest data shows it's usually like a 25 or 30 percent success rate whereas we're averaging about you know depending on what bulls guys want but you know over the last two years we've averaged about you know 75 to you know 85 percent success rate on bulls you know in that you know add like i said averaging in that 350 to you know basically almost 370 range which as you know jake you know 380 to 400 isn't you know, is a giant, and uh, the we kind of depending on the hunter and what their experiences are. You know, we kind of set guys up if you know if they haven't killed many bulls or 
you know, they're just looking for a great experience that, you know, we we can damn sure get opportunities to kill 350 bulls. And, yeah, we're going to see bulls that are a lot bigger than that. We've killed bulls that are, you know, well over 400 um, gross on the ranch. And it's, it's, a, it's an extremely special place because, you know, just the consistent um, ability to take bulls with your bow because you are hunting land that is, you know, predominantly private and, you know, we have control to access. So it's, I, I completely undersell that place. Um, but I know, you know, I had a public land tag this year um, for myself in late in early October, and I saw one bull in six days. Um, the public land hunting, just like probably everywhere in Arizona, is, is kind of turned into a little bit of a, in my opinion, a little bit of a madhouse. Um because, you know, everybody seems to be bringing two, three, four guys, and every guide brings two, three, four guides to help them. And um, it's extremely competitive nowadays, and information, you know, everybody's got trail cameras, and everybody's got phone scopes, you know, which is cool, you know, um, but it is, it makes for some hard hunting on the public. You know, something you said there reminded me of, um, you drawing your own tag and seeing one elk and what people need to understand is it's a bull that when Craig shot it ended up being broken but if not broken would have been well over 430 inches right Craig yeah you asked you know honestly I thought he was 430 Lee kept telling me the bull was in the Lee and my dad kept telling me the bull was well over 440 and he would have been well over 440 but you know um, and what i remember about that is you texting me if i remember right you'd been hunting and you know you'd been guiding all season and then you had your own hunt and then you'd been like three or four days and you're like i don't know i don't know if he's going to show i'm going to hunt for him and you literally went the whole time and never saw and it wasn't like the last evening or something or and then he shows up and you ended up killing him yeah, I'd actually text, um, I text your wife, I think. I text my wife and told her that I was done, and I'd actually text Lee before that uh, or after that um, just because we had some, uh, the, the raffle sheep hunter come to town, and we had some other hunts that were just, you know, just all that pressure, and I'd already been gone, um, and Lee was doing another hunt. Um, so I was... I was by myself with my dad. My dad's helping me, but my dad can't, he can't go and get up in glass like, you know, a, a spring chicken anymore. And um, so I was actually by myself a lot or pretty much the entire hunt. He would pick me up. But, um, yeah, it is it is it one of those deals where I was basically done. Um, and if, if I'm quite honest with you, I've had about three or four different experiences now um, where I've, I've been in situations like that, and, you know, people can, you know, call, either they can say, interpret this however they want to, but, you know, I I think I was very, you know, people can say I was determined, I, I worked through all this crap to kill that bull and hard work, and, and I did, but I think God felt pity on me because I was moping around, and, you know, I was having to, go back over to hill the glass this one little thicket and lo and behold there was a bull there 
you know, batting. And I still couldn't tell if it was the bull that I wanted to kill um, until he, you know, 10 minutes later turned his G1 down and I could tell it was split on both sides. And then I knew instantly it was him. And I shot him in his bed. Um, it was almost, it was getting close to dark. I shot him in his bed. And, you know, I didn't know he was broke until after I watched the video. And even at that, he was broke. He's, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to gloat or anything, but he was 394. And I hadn't seen that bull. I'd hunted with that bull with my wife in 2000, 2015 um, was the first time I hunted that bull. And uh, I should have killed him with my wife then. Uh, if, if I hadn't have been a dumbass and decided to stalk the bull with my entire family um, and got busted <laughs> a thousand yards, um, we would have killed him. And I hadn't seen him on the hoof since 2015. I just had pictures of him. Um, and so I was very fortunate and blessed. But like you were saying, you know, that was literally the only elk I saw in six days of of hunting and you know I'll never kill a bull that big in my entire life unless I get in a position where I can you know consistently buy tags or you know I, I just I, I, I doubt I'll, I'll never kill a bull that big so I mean he had like 40 some inches of broken points yeah he's, he's I mean Lee is one of the guys that I you know obviously because you know our relationship that I made sure because Lee knew about the bull I made sure Lee brought him to camp one time after that had Lee hold him and he doesn't what's funny is in the pictures when he's on the ground I was by myself and uh, the bull was over he was 11 plus years old they don't age him any past that um, I didn't send the tooth off I still got a, you know, some teeth I could send off but um, he uh he was he had an old man ass he was just he was just worn down i didn't even know if the bull was going to rut he was just so old but just goes to show you that in the year before that he was down he was he was probably around four ten inch um and i thought he was going to die um I, and i was really surprised that he didn't die um and then he you know last year because of the i'm assuming because of the feed and everything you know he he blew up and the the dead pictures there he's got a giant front front half um doesn't have any fat on him but i couldn't even i couldn't move the bull so i couldn't really take good pictures of him obviously he's broke he was a little bit lopsided anyway because he had a split third on the left side and it was broke um but when you actually hold the bull and get to see him in person is when you you know actually go gosh dang this thing's giant giant you know and even i thought he was 380 on the ground right there and i i've taped him twice just for gee whiz and i've got 392 and change and 394 and change as he sits broken gross you know and, and that's enough about that bull but that yeah that area incredible in 1880 was was punished by people this last year and you know i just i know that's that was a fluke thing, and I was willing to eat my tag. A lot of times when guys come in with the expectations, they want to kill a, you know, 380, you know, they toss out the 400 number. A lot of guys don't realize that you have a better chance of eating your tag. 
than killing that, you know, and I think it's because guys, you know, the way the marketing is now, you know, um, the guys see all the pictures, and what they don't realize is, you know, one outfitter's got 40 or 50 guys, and they're throwing up 10 bulls that are, you know, in the 370 to 400 range, and then all of a sudden everybody's killing 400s, and then other guys, you know, they kill a 400 over here where they don't realize that they took five or six guys, and you know what I mean? And then a DIY guy kills a 400. So everybody wants to kill 400, but they don't realize that you have a better chance of eating your tag than right. you killing a 400-inch bull, you know? Right. Um, that's just the truth. And so if you're going to say you want to kill a 400-inch bull, just just be prepared, mentally prepared to eat your tag and be happy, you know? Yeah. Well said. Um, guys, let's take a quick break here. I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. Remind you guys that you can go on gohunt.com forward slash jscott. That's going to prompt you to sign up there. You get a $50 Go Hunt uh, gear shop gift card uh, just for signing up. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. I also want to thank the Go Hunt. Uh, optics department, my friend Cody Nelson is the optics manager. If you guys have any optical needs at all, if you're looking to buy anything to do with glassing, uh, binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, uh, range finders, uh, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. Uh, Cody actually just won the Swarovski Optic Dealer of the Year, which is an amazing feat for uh, him. He's only that optics department's only been open for two years, but um, it was obvious to me that it was going to happen. He does an amazing job with customer service. He helps every customer himself, handles all of that, and they have a great staff over at Go Hunt that uh, supply and uh, getting all the orders shipped out. Uh, give Cody a call if you have any optical needs at all. I uh, also want to thank Phonescope.com. I uh, want to tell you guys you can use the JScott20 promo code. That's going to save you a 10% discount. want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. If you have any questions about Kuyu, you can call the great customer service there at Kuyu. You can go to Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, also want to thank OnxMaps.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. That's going to save you 20% at OnxMaps. Um, guys, so Unit 10 looking like it's going to be a good year. My prediction is probably Unit 10 will be the, the shining uh, star of the state this year. Um, you know, I love Unit 10. It's got phenomenal opportunities uh, for just regular public land hunting as well. Probably some of the best hunting uh, in the southwest is found in Unit 10. Obviously, you guys, is an opportunity there on private land. Um, is also speaks for itself, just your photos and videos alone uh, there in Unit 10. I do want to talk to you guys about antelope. Um, you guys historically uh, shoot some of the best antelope in the state. Uh, I know you guys live in some of that country right there where some of the best antelope live. Uh, so I do want to cover what you guys' thoughts are on some of the best uh, units for antelope. So whichever one of you wants to go, I don't care, but kind of cover this some of the... Lee. This is all Lee. Uh, cover some of the, the units that... Mecca. He does. He lives... It's like living... It's like uh, being a fan of Disney and you live in Disneyland. He lives... Uh, 
right there in the Prescott Valley well, area. You know what's, and you know what's born funny and about that, Jay? Is I'm always like, Lee's always like sending me pictures of antelope in his yard and stuff. I'm like, go take some pictures and video of them. And he's like, yeah, I just don't feel right about taking pictures and flaunting them about goats that are, you know, not huntable or not, <laughs> you know, in my front yard and whatnot. But he does live in Lee's feeding them carrots out of his front patio every night. They pet them on the head. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, cover some antelope stuff. Uh, I know some guys, uh, they want to hear from you guys as to what you think are, the, you know, the top-tier units. And then I'll pick away with some questions as it comes up. Okay. <clears throat> well, for antelope, uh, this year for, for guys that have near max points or, or you know, 20-some antelope points um we've been we've been recommending and steering guys towards uh, some of the units even for non-residents um 19b um 18a uh and if they if they want to you know step step down to a muzzle loader there's some good opportunity in muzzle loader for the 19b 17b unit um, some units like that that have minimal amount of tags because <clears throat> unit 10, there will always be a few big bucks in unit 10, but and a lot of guys go for that, but unit 10's really been struggling for age class. So if a guy's got a lot of points, we haven't even been recommending unit 10. If you're in that mid-range bracket where you have, you know, 15 or in the teens points or less, then I would say Unit 10 is not a bad choice because you don't have as much invested in it and you're, you're in the lottery pool anyways. That's going to give you better odds. Um, the only unit that's got considerable amount of tags that, is, that allows non-residents to, to draw and maybe have a better hunt would be 5B. That's probably been our, our number one recommendation for non-residents is 5B as a first choice. Um, but in the uh, the units 19B, 18A, 17B, even 17A, it's only got a couple of tags. For guys that have lower amount of bonus points, there's always some some really big bucks in there that can be found. There's not a lot of them, that, but that's where I would uh, you know recommend guys apply or suggest they apply. You know, one of the things that always, I'm not an antelope guy at all, but one of the things that strikes me about antelope is, you know, you don't necessarily need, a, in, in, in comparison to, say, elk or deer, where you need that animal to be, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I mean, you could have some really good antelope at four years old, potentially even three years old, but, I mean, you get an antelope to five years old, you can get some really big bucks. Talk a little bit about that as far as quality and how a unit can kind of, you know, if a few bucks slip through the cracks very quickly, it, you know, it can grow some giants. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been quite a few recent studies and, and people discussing that more in depth here lately about antelope age class, and I, I don't know but I agree with it completely. You know, some guys say that three years old, a buck's maxed out or can be as big as he's ever been. And I tend to lean a little bit more towards four years old. You know, their body's still grow, got to grow completely before they can max out their horns. So three to four years old, they say, is, is maximum or the most potential for, 
for the best score. Um, so that that being said, you know, in, in some of these units that have five tags or ten tags that are you know less opportunity, there's there's a lot greater opportunity for bucks to get to three years old or four years old and and survive. Whereas in unit ten, you have 85 tags or 80 tags in there. There's there's been a wide sweep of bucks just getting slaughtered basically in in the, the high high density areas and there's not very much room for any of them to slip through the cracks that are two years old. Um, you know all the three year old bucks get shot and there's not very many that slip through the cracks. The departments will lower the tags a little bit more than they did in Unit Ten this year. I think they took five out of there for the rifle hunt. So we'll we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens this year. Maybe a little bit drier spring will be a little better for the antelope bucks growth and horns. I don't know, but we'll it's gonna be interesting to watch to see what happens to unit ten antelope here in the next couple of years. Yeah, last year it was in unit ten looking at my notes and everything, it was it was tough to find antelope. Didn't see a lot of fawns. Um it was really hot, um, and that's the thing is that I don't think we're seeing the fawn recruitment's not there in Unit 10. Um, it's not there in a lot of the units, but specifically Unit 10. And like Lee said, that man, it's just it's a massacre. You know, the first couple of days and, and very competitive. And I, I and I don't know exactly as Lee alluded to, but it sure does seem like a buck can get big. You know, between the ages of, of four and five, for sure. Even though, you know, supposedly, you know, three, they're they're hitting their biggest stride. But I got to think it's kind of like, you know, deer and deer and elk. Whereas, you know, one buck may get big at, you know, three, but the next buck, if he gets the right year, he might get big at four or five. You know, I know they don't last too much longer than that. You know, as far as, you know, the, their size, their life cycle is pretty short. Um, but the, the fawns, um, just, there's not enough, we don't have enough fawns. Um, uh, I, I know, I don't know if Lee talked to one of the, um, guys from Unit 10, but I know one of them called me and I feel bad now that we talk about this because I didn't call him back. Um, and I noticed the tag numbers are, are, are not as low as what Lee and I thought they should be, um, it was pretty bad last year, so um, I just I hate to see. I don't think Unit Ten, or I don't think the entire state, as far as pronghorn in Arizona right now is is very good. Um, I, I just it doesn't seem like it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, subdivisions going up, and some of these other units. Um, HMA is a is a good unit for some big bucks, has some great genetics, but there's a lot of rural houses in there. I think there's a lot of poaching going on in there. 19B is another one. Both those units, I'll tell you, if, you got, if you're if you a listener and you apply for those units, um, better be prepared to see, uh, you know, subdivision roads and, and a tough access, but that's sometimes where a big buck can be on a little chunk of, of state trust land in the middle of that. Um, and so it, it's getting tougher and tougher to, you know, find those areas that, um, just like where Lee lives in, in the Chino area, a lot of the areas that antelope 
you know, used to thrive in are, are being developed um, in some of these better units. And then it seems like Unit 10 is taking the brunt of the pressure because there's so much space and there's, you know, there's a, a fair amount of antelope. But last year, I don't know if there was a die-off or what their count was, but I know ours was horrible. Um, so that's um, kind of my two cents into it. Well, I think when you have a horrible monsoon like we did, which that's a huge amount of moisture, when you take the percentage of moisture that falls throughout the year, when you eliminate the monsoon moisture, you're taking out a huge chunk that that ground is typically getting throughout the year. You take that out, you have very little cover for, you know, you talk about um, fawn recruitment. I mean, if there's no cover for the fawns, right, they're going to get ate up yeah. by the predators. Um, and so you talk about, wicked. you know, yeah, and why does fawn recruitment have anything to do with big bucks? Well, that fawn three years, three to five years from now is going to be the bucks that you're chasing. So yeah, it has everything to do with it when you're looking into future years. Um, the other interesting thing you point out is I was talking with Tom McReynolds last year on a podcast over in New Mexico, and he talks about, you know, great elk antler growth years are typically not good antler growth or horn growth years for antelope. He says on those more droughty years where the elk is down, the antelope is up. Can either one of you either agree with that theory? Because I've heard it a lot that when it's actually drier, the antelope do better. Why is that? I think I've it has that same thing. I think it has something to do oh. with what they eat, Jay. What the in the spring when their horns are going on full development. I think if there's a lot of rain, whatever whatever the rain makes grow, the feed grows faster. There's not enough nu as much nutrients in that feed that the antelope might eat. Whereas if it's a little drier or more of an average year, dry wise, the antelope are eating uh, the feed that they're eating has a lot of strength or a lot of protein in it compared to faster growing feed from a lot of rain. So I think that's that's my theory as why the antelope may have better horns on a little bit drier or more of an average spring. Um, I don't, have you seen an actual study on that, Lee? Because I mean, I've heard people talk about it. At one time, I thought I saw one on the Arizona Antelope Foundation. Um, yeah, I've, I've read a few things on it, and I'm, I don't know that I think that's a contributing factor is just, you know, I think it's the type of feed that they're eating and, and the moisture context. I know in cattle, that's, that's a big thing. You know, it, you have a really, really wet spring or really wet summer, lots and lots of rain. The feed might grow really, really tall and be super green, but it doesn't necessarily have as much strength in it as it would if it was a little less rain and shorter feed because it grows slower and it's got more nutrients in it. Yeah, makes sense. That's that's good stuff. Uh, guys, I want to give you uh, any final concluding thoughts. I want to give you guys a chance to say uh, anything. And um, I'm getting lots of guys sending me messages saying that they want to see me and Craig Steele play one-on-one -on -one basketball. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm just wondering if we can make that oh happen. Oh my gosh! I just want to know if I could dunk over you. That's that's my main thing. Is if we played one on one, would I dunk right over the top of you? Yeah, you you probably would. Just be like the old <laughs> Kurt Rambis dunk. <laughs> 
launch off. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that happens, I definitely want to be there to video. So just keep me posted on that. I don't want to miss that. Anything like Craig Steele's arm wrestling episode, I definitely got to see this. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, one time, I do, do something. Hey, well, one you won. You beat you beat yeah. him at arm wrestling. Not Jay, but you beat that guy at arm wrestling. It was good. It was good stuff. <laughs> one time, I have a little too much to drink. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I had that. I I saw something the other day that I texted Lee about that I thought was funny when you said something you were filming calls from Arizona elk hunters and they need to wash their mouth out if they mention 380 to 400. What was that about? You know, I just think Arizona, in my opinion, over the last 10 years, the quality has steadily declined. And I'm an outfitter that, you know, I don't guide in Arizona for elk anymore. Maybe I will someday, but at this time I'm over in Colorado and I don't guide for elk. Uh, I do guide for bighorn sheep here, so I can easily sit back and kind of look at it from a third-party point of view and be like, yeah. I understand, you know, the outfitters are trying to make a living, and I understand they every year, they, you know, all the outfitters, every every couple of years, everyone has a day, their day in the sun, and they shine and have a shoot a really good bull, but I believe that, you know, like 2005, um, you know, some of those years, but prior to 2010, like, we haven't seen the size and quality that I used to guide, you know, 20 years of guiding in Arizona, and I think overall the quality has dropped. And I talked to yeah. several guys on the phone, and this I got home from Mexico. You know, I've been going 18 days in Mexico, and then they want to talk elk, and I'm like, I don't guide for elk anymore, but I'm help, happy to help you with some opinions of mine. And they're, you know, they're saying, well, you know, I've got, you know, 22 points and I'm planning to do archery, but, you know, I want a 380-plus bull. And, you know, I said, okay, how many bulls have you killed? Well, I actually haven't killed a bull yet with my bow. and But, you know, I've, I've got 22 points and I want a 380-plus bull. And I just stop right there. Like, stop, hold the phone, stop. Just stop where you're at. I don't even want to go any further. You've never killed an elk with your bow and you want a 380-plus bull. That's a great goal to have, but it's not realistic. Yes, there'll yeah. be some 380-plus bulls, and probably this year there'll be some a couple of 400-inch bulls shot, yes, in the state, statewide. Um, but, you know, you're not hiring a guide. You're coming in DIY. The chances of you finding one of those bulls in one of these units is slim to none. Let's, let's take the real realistic approach and say let's start chasing bulls that are 350 or better you know let's show up you know two three weeks before your hunt and scout like crazy and then you know let's scout for the whole first part of your hunt where you're just glassing you're not actually out hunting you're trying to find one bull and then you take the last week of the hunt try and kill that bull okay maybe your chances of killing something you know 360 370 plus maybe go up a little bit but i just think you know 350 is the new norm. You know, that should be the benchmark that a lot of guys should be chasing. You know, if you've killed four, five, six, seven, eight bulls with your bow and, you know, your best is 357 and you want to try for that 360 plus, go for it. Um, but let's be realistic about what 
is in front of you and what tag you have because what people do is they set themselves up for failure. They've built yeah. this up to be Arizona back in the you know early 2000s and or mid you know 2005 you know right in there seven um, and it's just not it's not the quality. There's too many tags. The hunters are getting better. The optics are getting better. I mean, it's just the truth. And so I think people's expectations have just every year seems like they need to be readjusted. Yeah, I just I saw that and I thought I thought it was comical. I don't we don't get we don't get too much of that. We've had a few times where you know we've actually had guys you know freaking hire us because you know another outfit is you know they'll be two or three because there's some other good outfitters. I'm not saying we're the only ones that are good in Arizona at all, but uh, you know we've had conversations or I've had conversations with the guys and been like, well. It was down to you and these guys, and then these guys over here were saying this, and it's just amazing that, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who will just throw out big numbers because, you know, they think people are stupid, and there is some naive people out there, but, you know, those big numbers like that are, like you said, they're they're rarer than not, you know. Yeah. And people hear the bull that I kill, and they, what they don't realize is how much time, how much I know the country you know, and I have a rifle, so I can kill them. When you're talking, well, about, you know, archery, and you're willing you know, to go the whole hunt and not see exactly. an elk. That's the yeah, thing and, that you and know. Be perfectly content. You know, I'll, I'll go. You know, I have 16 points for elk, and may or may not even apply this year. Likelihood is, I may not even carry my bow. I may go up to a point in glass for five or six or seven days and never even carry my bow. I don't need to go hunt to act like I'm a hunter. I want to kill a giant. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to you have to plan on going to places where you're not going to see a ton of elk, or you're just looking for that one bull. And I, I think sometimes people don't understand what goes into it. You know. Um, yeah, and you know, chances and, are you're still not going to kill. You know. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to eat a tag. Like you know, I had a tag in one of the best units in Utah. I had a beaver tag in 16 and. Literally found one bull. Tony put me on a good bull, and we hunted it the whole time, and I didn't kill him. I should have, but I didn't, and I went home. It's one of the best elk hunts I've ever been on, and yeah. I don't have one ounce of regret at all other than I should have killed the bull, and I didn't, and, you know, it is what it is, but that's how you kill giant stuff is you have to be able to go home without one, and not many people can do that. Amen. Uh, guys, I want I want uh, the listeners to be able to know how they can reach out and find you. So, uh, would you do that now? And I just appreciate you guys coming on the podcast, sharing your knowledge. And you guys have been good friends for a lot of years, and it's always fun talking to you. Yeah, man. The well, best way to find us on, go, go to exclusivepursuitoutfitters.com and go to the contact page. Um, you can also look up, you know. Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters on Instagram and on Facebook and message us there. Instagram's a little bit easier to message. Facebook's messenger is a little bit messed up, but you can email us from our website too. So if you have any questions. Awesome. Get a hold of these guys for elk and antelope. Uh, 
love seeing your pictures, love watching the videos and the content on, on your website and on your Instagram page. Um, guys, good luck with that raffle sheep hunter. Um, got some great hunting ahead of you. And I uh, look forward to seeing the tags that you guys get and draw. And it's always great, great having you on. And um, uh, Craig, just uh, keep at it. Keep that vertical going and uh, work on your left-hand dribble a little bit, and you might be able to hang <laughs> with me. So, um, And uh, uh, with that being said, God bless you both. All right. Bye. All right, Jay. Thanks again for having Take us care. on. Take care.